welcome you guys. I want to welcome you guys online that are watching. Um, we've got a good Bible study tonight. Uh, we've got a lot of people gathering around and at the feeding trough right now. And uh, <laughs> But I want to welcome you online. Uh, if you're watching from home, it's good to have you as well. Um, hey, I just obviously I'm not Pastor Greg. Um, poor, poor Pastor Greg. He is just having the worst battle of his life. And this with this, uh, he's still battling some gout in his leg and uh, maybe in another area as well. And, and uh, he just really requests a lot of prayer, you know, and it's not just necessarily uh, the fact that it's a physical infirmity, but it just gets to you. It's been going on for, I mean, months, you know, and, and it'll go away. And he's controlled it quite a bit with his diet and drinking water and doing those things. But uh, unless he's on a steroid pack, it seems to kind of flare up again. And so I think he just started a new medication. He's trying to see if that's going to level things out, and he wants to see a, a rheumatologist. And so just really keep him in your prayers. He asked me uh, this week if I would uh, be able to fill in for him, and I said, absolutely. It's, a, it's always a joy and pleasure to, uh, to teach Bible study. It's one of my favorite things to do. And so we just want to make sure that we keep him in our prayers. Um, speaking of, I always like to start with this. Is there anybody that has um, any specific prayer requests or anything on their hearts, Phyllis. Uh, yep. Alicia. Oh, sure. Phyllis, that's your niece? Your granddaughter. Okay, okay. Okay, Phyllis, your, your granddaughter. Okay, absolutely. It is. Oh. Okay. Well, for those of you that were watching online, we want to pray for Phyllis's granddaughter, who's having gastric bypass surgery as a, as a excuse me, a necessary surgery for diabetes. So we'll do that. Anybody else? Yes. Oh, twin baby boys, uh, open heart surgery. Wow. Goodness gracious. Okay. Okay, Barbara. So, Barbara's your niece, one of your nieces. Sorry. Oh, a girlfriend's. Uh, okay. Children. Oh, okay. All right. Wow. That's heavy. Yeah. Open heart surgery for young, young babies. Wow. Praise report. Yes. Yeah. You want to come up? Okay, <laughs> everybody can hear. This is Barbara giving a praise report for those online. Betsy, yes, Betsy, your sister. Wow. Oh, goodness. Wow. That's amazing. What a praise request. That's amazing. That's a huge one. Wow. The king, the, the heavens are rejoicing. Wow. About the heavens rejoice. Yeah. That's amazing. What a wonderful. Yeah. Anything, you know, we always wonder how God will work. 
and how God will bring his, the people that he's given to his son, how they'll come to the kingdom. And interesting ways that it happens through tragedy sometimes. So what a, what a wonderful praise. So that's a wonderful praise report. Yeah, amen. Anybody else? Well, let's open up in prayer, and uh, we'll get started tonight. Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for your blessings. We thank you for each and every single person who's come out tonight. Father, we thank you for those that are online watching who perhaps can't be here. Lord, we want to uh, pray that they're, uh, they feel as if they're a part of what we're doing here uh, intimately with our Bible study in this church group, Lord. And Lord, we want to lift up Phyllis's granddaughter as she is going through uh, a surgery. Father, Lord, that we, she will... Uh, you know, all will be to your glory, Lord, but we pray it goes well and without any hiccups, Father. Lord, we pray for um, Barbara's friends, um, the, these, this infant that's going through open-heart surgery right now, Father. We ask that your hands will be with the doctors as they perform the surgery, Father, that, um, that everything will go as planned, Lord. And we also want to praise uh, you, Father, for, uh, for salvations, Lord, uh, and even through difficult times. We, we don't know how you use those things, but Clearly, you use this for that, Lord. We just want to rejoice with Barbara, and uh, what an exciting time that is, Lord. We want to lift up Pastor Greg tonight to you, Father. Uh, we ask that you encourage his spirit, encourage his heart, Lord, um, during this difficult times where it seems like there's no end in sight, Lord. I pray that you will come close to him, and he will draw near to you, Father. And uh, we just we want to thank you for whatever he's going through because we know that it's it's working out in your plan, Lord. And we, but we do sincerely pray for his for his, uh, his healing and his fast recovery, Father, that they can get a hold on this and figure out exactly what's going on. Uh, Lord, we ask that you be with us tonight as we open your word. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit illuminates this text for each and every one of us, Father, that we stay true to the word. And it's uh, it'll end up being a good evening of learning about you and learning how we can apply your precepts to our lives, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, tonight, if you'd like to open your Bibles, we're going to be in first, or sorry, 2 Kings chapter 15. I'll give you a moment to get there. 2 Kings chapter 15. And we're going to be doing a lot of bouncing around. So if you have a bookmark or a pen you want to stick in that spot, or even these little ribbony things that come in the center of your Bible, you wonder what they're for. Well, it's for tonight, and you're going to put this little ribbon thing here, and then so you can flip back and forth uh, through your Bibles. If you have your phone, you can. There's a lot of Bible apps there. You can always. I know there's a couple people working on their phone. It's actually pretty convenient to um, to have a, a, your app on a phone to to do Bible stuff because there's some really good software out there, some good programs. I know there's some good study Bibles that you can get in an app, and you just go to the text and you hit a small button, and it gives you a full commentary on that a trusted commentary on those particular uh, passages. And so I think it's a wonderful thing. As we study the Word, sometimes we get to portions and parts that we're just not quite, we just don't understand. You know, there's a couple things tonight that I'm like, I had to really do some studying to figure out these names and, and what, what is this person and who is it? Is this the same person? And, and then just understanding when, some, when you get to a passage that's a little difficult, well, why in the world did that happen? Why would God do that? And sometimes really good, trusted commentaries um, are, are really helpful in, in that. So as we begin, I just want, I always like to give you an overview just so you have an understanding of what we're going to be talking about tonight. Um, it's it's as, a, as a student that I've been sitting, I sit in classes or I'll sit in a Bible study and I, or even a sermon, I just kind of want to know what it's about in general. And so tonight we're, um, 
I would say there's a couple things we're looking at. The first thing is going to be a very brief story. We've got obviously the tribe of Judah and Israel, right? These two, two nations. And we, the king seems like to go back and forth between the two all the time. What's going on down here? Okay, back to you, Fred. What's up going on up in this northern kingdom? And it's just this constant thing. And in this particular one, you have a, uh, someone that's reigning in Judah for a very long time. And so we'll learn about him and some of his infirmities and things he went through. And then in the meantime, while he's reigning, you've got Israel on fast forward, racing through king, the several kings in this passage. And so it's almost like a, a quick turnover, as if there was no, you know, what's the word when someone has to be in office for a tenure or a, what is it? Term. There you go. So there must have been no terms because one's like a month or something, but or a year. So, so you've got the particular king in Judah. We're going to talk about him. And we're going to look at the, the turnover that's happening in Israel. And the reason it's important is because Israel is getting close to the end. They are under judgment and they're getting close to the capture and and the, you know, so a lot of bad things are coming. So it's kind of those two things um, that we're looking at. And then there's a lot of really good cross passages we're going to look at that sort of uh, explain some of these things with a little more depth and clarity. So let's just go ahead and start. If you want to look at chapter 15 of 2 Kings, we're going to start with verse 1, and we're going to read the first, I would say, five verses, and then we're going to expound on that a bit. Now, before we even get started, I want you to note that Azariah, it says it reigns in Judah. That might be a little title that you see above there. Now, Azariah, if you're taking notes, is the same thing as Uzziah. So U-Z-Z-I-A-H. So Azariah and Uzziah are the same person. I don't know why there's distinctions, but that's just to let you know so you understand that. So, so let's begin. In the 27th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Azariah, the son of Amaziah, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 16 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jecoila of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done. Here's the word we want to look at, nevertheless. So there's a little bit of, of confusion, not confusion, but we, we notice that some kings, it says they did all that was evil in the sight of the Lord, and then some things say that he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Now, just because he did most of the things that were right in the sight of the Lord doesn't mean that he necessarily wasn't, didn't do bad things. But most of the ones that start out when it says he did evil in the sight of the Lord, they did bad things and then more bad things. And so I, and, and I think what they're referring to specifically, or I don't think, is basically um, some of the things that the, the, the idol worship, that Jeroboam started, those are the things that we talk about. So just to get, just to get us, just so you understand, but nevertheless, verse four, the high places were not taken away. These are pagan places where they decided to do worship other than the temple. The people still sacrificed and made offerings on the high places. And the Lord touched the king so that he was a leper to the day of his death. And he lived in a separate house. And Jotham, the king's son, was over the household governing the people of the land. So, you know, as you get, you almost kind of stop right there. And then as it goes on, as you know, it always says, and then he, he slept with his fathers, he died, and then all the rest is recorded in the Chronicles. But I'd like to 
as we're reading this, you kind of go, well, he, was, he did all that was right in the eyes of the Lord, but then he did still allow the high places things. But what about the leprosy? How, why did God, in fact, it said here, interesting wording, it said that God touched him. Uh, where is that? Yeah, in verse 5, the Lord touched the king so that he was a leper to the day of his death. So not only was he a leper, um, but he was relegated to a separate house where he kind of sort of half ruled by proxy. So what I want to do is expound on this story a little bit, because this is the very first part of this, this chapter, a little segment here. So if you will, go ahead and turn to, and mark your Bible here, leave it there, to 2 Chronicles chapter 26. And we want to learn a little bit more about Uzziah or Azariah, either the same name. So 2 Chronicles chapter 26. I'll give you a moment. So apparently, Uzziah, or Azariah, the same guy, was a, a pretty strong king. I think he came from a military background. Now I want to direct your attention in chapter 26. It really talks about his whole reign right here. It's in a lot of detail, and it talks about how he went out and made war with the Philistines and Gath and the Ammonites and all this stuff. But if you go down to chapter 26 of 2 Chronicles, verse 14... This is where I really want to kind of focus on. We'll move forward from there. It says, And Uzziah, which is Azariah, prepared for the army shields, spears, helmets, coats of mail, bows, and stones for slinging. Now, this is interesting here. Let's keep reading. In Jeru he must have been a really strong military man to really have a good understanding of how to do this, and he did it very well. It says, In Jerusalem he made machines, invented by skillful men to be on towers and the corners to shoot arrows and great stones. And his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. So I don't know what this might entail. Maybe it was a catapult system, Maybe it was, but it sounded like it was technology slightly advanced above the rest. And so he was a very mighty warrior and king because of this. And so naturally, news went out that he was a strong warrior. So as you can imagine, this gives you a picture of what Uzziah or Azariah, who he was. Very military-minded, probably kind of a, an alpha male, brute guy, a lot of military background. But then let's continue further to kind of expound on the story that we, we just hit on in 15. But it says, but when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord, his God, and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Well, let me just pause right there. His ego got in the way so much that he thought he could waltz into the temple and take the role of the priest and give the incense, which was completely against Levitical law. He knew that, but when people get pious and pompous and high on their platforms, they think they can do just about anything. And that's exactly what he did. He marched in to this temple and began to make the offering of incense, which he was not allowed to do. So let's kind of continue forward and see what happens. But Azariah, okay, now this is a different Azariah. So it might be that Uzziah, the name was used here because there is a, this is another Azariah in verse 17. That was a priest that was, it must have been like John, you know, the name John or Joseph, you know, it's a very common name, I guess. 
So when it says, but Azariah the priest, that's another guy, okay? But Azariah the priest went in after him as he went in there, and 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor, and they said, or sorry, and they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, it is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the son of Aaron only, that's Levitical law, who are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord. Verse 19, then Uzziah was angry. Isn't it just, you know, I, I had to pause right there as I was reading through this, because, man, sometimes people with a big ego, when they're called out on something, they get, they get mad, they get incensed that someone would actually have the nerve to stop me from doing something I think I should be able to do. And this is exactly what's happening. And all these men of valor confronted him, probably embarrassed a bit, but his pride got the best of him, and he became incensed and angry. Let's continue on. He became angry with the priests. He, oh, so let me go back to 19. Then Uzziah was angry. He, now he had a censer in his hand. To, he was ready to roll. And when he became angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. And Azariah, the chief priest, this is a different Azariah, uh, and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous on his forehead. This is where God touched him and did this to him immediately in the temple. And they rushed him out quickly, and he hurried himself to go out because the Lord had struck him. And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death, and being a leper, lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. And Jotham, his son, was, a king, was over the king's household, governing the people of the land. So I just wanted to kind of expound on that a little bit, because in 2 Kings 15, it gives you a brief glimpse in that, and you, you go, okay, well, he seemed to do right things in the sight of the Lord, but then what happened? Well, there's the backstory. That's why it says, aren't all these things written in the Chronicles? You've heard that before as we're going through the Kings. That's a more detailed account of what happened. So now we know what happened in Judah to this particular king. So for 52 years, I don't know exactly when this occurred, but he started when he was 16, and he reigned for 52 years. So for a very long period of his time, of his reign, he was relegated to the, the back house, so to speak. Was, and it's interesting because the punishment was merciful in a way because the Lord didn't strike him dead, which surprises me. Because remember the guy that just kind of went out and barely just tried to keep the Ark of the Covenant from falling? And boom, he struck dead. Well, the Lord was somewhat merciful to him, and he didn't strike him dead for doing this, but he simply... Uh, showed some mercy, but there was still judgment and punishment for doing this. And the ironic thing is that this occurred in the temple, and for the rest of his life, he could never go to the temple. He was relegated to that house. And kind of by proxy, being a king with Jotham, his son, as really probably the one that's doing most of it, because Jotham takes over at the end. And so I just found that was an interesting story. Um, man, I just, I mean, are we ever proud to that point? I mean, I, I'm sure I have been in my life, you know, and, and, and the good thing, God is merciful to us and that we're, we're seen as righteous in his eyes because, wow, I, I identify with a lot of this, you know, getting kind of puffed up when someone confronts me on something where pride gets in the way. And I just thought it was an interesting reminder on how deadly pride can be, especially with someone as powerful as he was and people think they're above the law, you know, and he certainly did and this is what happened to him. And so I think there's a lesson in that particular uh, case to really be careful with pride.
and because and, and, he can see where it went. So I don't think he was punished to the degree which he probably should have been, but he was perhaps the punishment was not ever being able to go to the temple again and, uh, and those types of things. So that, if we go back to 15, that sort of concludes this little part here about what was going on in Judah, okay? And so that's, and now we're getting ready to just newsflash over to Israel. Now, I think as we look at these, you know, this, the rest of this chapter from 8 all the way down to basically from verse 8 all the way to verse 31, there's a whirlwind, a hurricane of stuff that happens. And I'm not going to go over every single event and every single king, but I want to give you some like bullet points, some highlight reels, if you will, some just like a quick preview of what happened to describe. But it's interesting, you've got this long reign in Judah and then turnover like crazy in Israel. And there's a reason behind it. And so let's just kind of look through it real quickly. And we'll pick up a few things. So if we look at verse 8, it talks about um, Zechariah, which is not Zechariah, it's Zechariah. Um, but look at verse 9. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So right off the bat, we have a king that is not for the, for the Lord, uh, as his fathers had done. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which, made, which he made Israel to sin. So real quickly, just to let you give you an understanding of what that is, is first of all, he didn't do what was right in the eyes of the Lord probably maintain high places, and, and uh, Israel was in all kinds of trouble. But the Jeroboam thing, that was the golden calf thing, the second golden calf. They were worshiping idols, basically. And they had kept it, they held on to that all this time from Jeroboam, which was far prior. And that's one thing they just couldn't let go of. And so that's what that refers to. Now, let's just jump for a second down to verse 13. So then you have Shalom, the son of Jabesh. He began to reign. He reigned one month. That was fast, but one month. Well, here's why. This, okay, this is kind of gross, but chapter four, or verse, verse 14. So what happened was, it says, Menahem, the son of Gedi, came up from Tirzah. I'm, pick, I'm picking up in verse 14. And struck down Shalom, the son of Jabesh in Samaria, and put him to death and resigned, or, sorry, and reigned in his place. So someone basically usurped him, took him over, got a hold of him, um, now the rest of the deeds it talks about. But this Menahem guy who is reigning now, he came in and was horribly evil. If you look at verse 16, I just want to just give you an idea of how evil this, this is Israel we're talking about, right? God's people. Verse 14, or sorry, verse um, 16. At that time, Menahem sacked Tipspah and all who were in it and its territory from Tirzah on because they did not open it up to him. They didn't open opened the, the, their gates to him, basically. Therefore, he sacked it, and he ripped it open, and he ripped open all the women in it who were pregnant. This was a cannibal, not cannibalistic, it's the wrong word, a, a horrendous act that was done typically by other nations. It was a practice uh, when you went in and conquered, or but and he did this as a symbolic thing. It is downright pure evil. And so I'm not going to go into much detail else about it because there's really nothing else to talk about other than you can see where this is going. And before I get too far ahead, I want you to notice that sometimes the Lord allows people's sins. It's called handing, God hands them over to themselves. And it happens, you, it's, you talk about it in Romans, 
with all the different sins. So just keep that in mind as we begin to continue to go through this, that God is handing them over to themselves. Let's carry on. So Menahem comes in, he reigns uh, 10 years. And verse 18, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Again, he did not depart from, for all his days from the sins of Jeroboam. In other words, he kept worshiping the, the golden idols, which he made Israel of sin. So that kind of blah, blah, blah goes down to him. Let's jump down to 23. In the 50th year of Azariah, this is uh, Azariah, the leper is still reigning from his house, so to speak. Down to 24. How, wait, hold on. Pekka, Pekahiah. That's kind of a funny name. Okay. So anyway, the son of Menahem, he began to reign, and he did, verse 24, go figure, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Again, the same thing over and over and over again. It makes you wonder what's going on. Let's jump down to 27. In the 50 year, the 52nd year of Azariah, wow, that's a long time to reign. Pekah, the son of Remaliah, began to reign over Israel and Samaria, and he reigned 20 years. And he did, guess what he did? All that was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the sons of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. So, it, I, it makes you wonder how long, I mean, we know how this, with how this ends in this, in this particular story, but I want you to feel the fever pitch with which Israel is coming to an end, because as we kind of move forward in this and next week and the week after, this is all kind of coming to a conclusion where Israel is taken over by the Assyrians and those, it, it, they come to the, the, the end of Israel, so to speak. But it's just this fever pitch at this very end where it's just God is handing them over to themselves, one thing after another. Well, what I'd like to do is show you, um, because the, guess, guess who was actually a prophet during this, this era right here? Does anybody have any idea? Who was a prophet during this time of what we're talking about right now under Azariah? Well, I'll tell you. <laughs> it's Isaiah. So if you will, go ahead and turn to Isaiah chapter 1. Put a bookmark in 15 and go. let's go to Isaiah. I want to give you another perspective of what was actually occurring. We just read the narrative, right? And it seems pretty basic. So here's the narrative. Now let's look at Isaiah chapter 1. I'll, wait, I'll give you some time to get there. You know, when, a re when you're reading a story, it's so interesting to see other commentary and other books that affirm it, um, uh, things that sort of make sense. Of a you read something on the Civil War, and then you read another account, a whole other book from someone else's point of view, and it really brings it into... Uh, 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 fruition, like you really get an understanding of what's going on when you see another angle from something. You're like, oh, I didn't realize, oh, they were on the same battlefield, so to speak. So Isaiah, the great prophet Isaiah, was a prophet during this time. And so if you look, chapter 1, verse 1, says, The vision of Isaiah, son of Amoz, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, that's Uzziah's son, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Now, here's where we begin to describe, this is from Isaiah's perspective on what was going on, how he described 
all the stuff we just talked about, right? All the wickedness. So we start with this. Um, look, look, go down to chapter, uh, verse 4 of chapter 1. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal, corru- deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick and the heart is faint, the whole heart. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there was no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. Now, this is talking about Judah. This is where Uzziah, the leper, was reigning from the other house, but everything was still in chaos in Judah. So that's that's Isaiah describing that right there. If you jump over to verse 21, it talks about the unfaithful city. This is Jerusalem. This is Israel now. So, so Isaiah is talking about both nations right here. Verse 21 says, How the faithful city has become a whore. Excuse my language, but it's in the Bible. She who was full of justice, righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. And you saw what's going on. I kept reading to you all these kings that happened over and over again. Your silver has become dross, your best wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after, their, after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless. And the widows cause, and, excuse me, and the widows cause does not come to them. So this is a, a description of what Isaiah is seeing and describing. And prophets didn't hold their tongues. They didn't, they, they let it all fly out. There were no holds barred. And he is completely describing what's going on in Judah and what's going on in Israel. Jump over to chapter 3 with me. This is where it gets kind of interesting. Isaiah chapter 3. This is actually the judgment on Judah and Jerusalem. Let's start reading in verse 1. For behold, the Lord God of hosts is taking away from Jerusalem and from Judah. Notice God is, God is doing this. He is removing this. He has got an active role and an active hand in doing this. It's his responsibility and he's doing it. He's taking away from Jerusalem and Judah, or Israel and Judah, support and supply, all support of bread and support of water. The mighty man and the soldier, he's removing them. The judge and the prophet, the diviner and the elder, the captain of 50 and the man of rank. He's taking that all away. You've got these, well, then it tells you, and the counselor and the skillful magician and the expert in charms. And I will make, this is the Lord, I will make boys their princes and infants shall rule over them. Verse 5, and the people will oppress one another, everyone to his fellow and everyone his neighbor, and the youth will be insolent to the elder and the despised to the honorable. Wow. Now I want you to note in verse, in verse 4 there, chapter 3, verse 4, just to kind of give you an understanding of what that means, it says, and I will make boys their princesses and infants shall rule over them. Basically, what he's saying is he put in place or allowed to be in place incompetent people, incompetent kings, and they're called infants and children that are reigning over uh, the, the lands. And so God put them in this place because he has turned them over to themselves, right? So 
I don't know about you, but when I see things like God allowing or placing people in leadership that don't belong, and you look up here in verse 5, and the people oppress one another, and everyone is fellow, everyone there, and the youth will be insolent to the elder and the despised to the honorable. That sure sounds familiar, doesn't it? Am I right? I mean, <laughs> I don't think it could be any clearer that we are... A lot of people talk about God's judgment, and we need to get a good understanding of what God's judgment is, because God's judgment isn't just one event or another event. God's judgment can begin on one level and move to another level and move to another level. We see that in Romans. In the pattern in Romans 1, there was sexual sins, and God gave them over to themselves. And then it developed even further to unnatural sexual sins, and then God gave them over to them. What that means is, he's like, okay, have at it. You're you're destroying yourselves, and he's allowing that to happen. That's what it means when God gives them over. This the two nations here, Judah and Israel. God was there was already judgment going on. God was giving them over to themselves. He was allowing people to come into uh, leadership that were ruining the people, that were ruining the countries. And I just as I was reading this, I there's it's pretty clear that that's happening today. Um, and then uh, in Romans, the last phase it seems is that. Uh, they, 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 they had reprobate minds. And what that means is they don't, they don't really distinguish evil from good or good from evil. In fact, they call one the opposite of the other. And I think we're seeing that today. And we're seeing people in leadership call good evil and evil good. And that's kind of where we are. And I just, I think that, I, I think God's judgment eventually will fully come but I believe God's judgment is right going on right now because of what he is allowing to happen. And so I, it's just very sobering to see that. Um, the parallels are just remarkable. Um, but just to give you an understanding of what God gave them over to, that's what this means, and that's, that's what was happening. And I just feel like we're kind of in those, those, those areas right now. Um, so... I want you to look down, you know, it's very easy, i got to be careful here, it's, I get so frustrated with, with things, and I, even locally, I'll read a, 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 an article from the news, a local newspaper, and it's so slanted left, and it's so manipulative, and it's so cutting, it's just so obvious, and it just makes me so angry inside about it and I and, and I'll watch the news and I'll I'll see what what certain leadership is doing and allowing and and I just get so crazy inside and 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 I wonder like Lord when when will you come but realizing that we are under the judgment now this is what's happening there's a remnant of us left and I think it's important though we get frustrated with the the, the nature of the sin that is occurring with the with, uh, uh, homosexual move has is, is gone beyond ever, anything. Uh, the trans, everything, just the uh, people thinking they're animals. And it, I, I think we have to be careful. I would love to make America great again, but what does that really mean? And I think as we see all these crazy things, it tells us here in chapter 3 the real root of the problem. Let's look at it real quick. 
Look down at verse 8 of chapter 3. For Jerusalem has stumbled, it's Israel, and Judah has fallen, because their speech and their deeds are against the Lord, defying His glorious presence. Let me read that again. Let me just put something else in there. For Europe and America has fallen because their speech and their deeds are against the Lord, defying His glorious presence. I don't know. I, I had to really wrestle through this one a little bit because I, I get caught up in... I don't think there's anything wrong with, with a, a righteous indignation over things that occur, things that are occurring to our children, things that our people are pushing through. There, there should be some level of um, anger towards sin. And anything against the Lord, it's okay to be angry against. That's, that's our Father. Things can, you can do whatever you want to me. I'm fine. I'm okay. But when you, when you do things that are against my Lord, my, my, the God, my, my Jesus, that's when you have to draw the line. But I want you to know and understand from this passage that the root of all of this is that these people are lost. They are lost. They're not the enemy. They're the battleground. And that's hard to, to hear sometimes. But yes, we need to be upset and angry in its right place. And yes, we need to fight for things and vote for things for the sanctity of life and for everything that is good. But when we see this stuff going on, it's very easy to get inflamed about another type of sin that we don't happen to have, you know. And so it's, it's, I think it's really important as I read through this, I listened to a sermon early in the week as well, and it just really kind of got to me as far as what are we doing? Uh, sure, we can vote. Sure, we can shake our fist at the TV, but like, what are we really doing for these people who are lost? Like, they're going to die and go to hell. Like, how are we, you know, and I know that we can't influence everything, but I know that we can influence the people we come in contact with. And there's not a bunch of, we don't live in New York City, so there's not a bunch of weirdness going on, but, but there's so many lost people out there. And, there's, and, and, and I, I think if you see all the craziness going on and see all the, uh, all the, I call it a sexual disorder. Anything that is outside of God's plan for, for marriage and sexuality is disorder. It's from Satan. You know, he is the enemy. But these people that are caught up in it, um, I think it's really important to understand that their speech and their deeds are against the Lord and they are defying his glorious presence. They're defying Jesus Christ and his message. So what are we going to do about it? And so I think it's just a really good reminder as I read through this that, man, we, I think we are under judgment. And so the time is growing short. I think it's important that we actually um, maybe reframe our thinking a bit on we need to be angry with what should, we should be angry with. But certain things, we maybe we need to spend our time more trying to reach the lost, you know, getting outside of our homes, getting just striking up that conversation at the Dollar Tree with the girl with the blue hair. I don't know. Maybe maybe you, you never know how God will use you. 
And all we're really called to do is just spread the gospel and cast the seed. It's the Holy Spirit that's going to do the work. And it seems so difficult because the world is so evil. But it doesn't surprise me. They're so different and they're so deranged. But we have to understand and believe that the Holy Spirit will do the work. We just have to do our part. And that's to love our neighbors ourselves. And that's sometimes is very tough because we want to come up and fight against all this. And so I encourage you to hold the line on biblical truth. Don't ever back down. Vote correctly. We'd like to get as many people in good leadership as possible. I'm 100% behind that. But let's not lose sight of the reason why these people are the way they are. It doesn't surprise you. They don't, they're without the Lord. They, are, they deny it. They, they, they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And that's where we begin. That's where we take over. And I don't think in any time in history have the, the, the division lines, the battle lines been clearer. I mean, it's, it's a no-brainer now. The guy that I was listening to the sermon, he said, he, said, uh, he said 20 years ago, all you had to do is preach a kind of conservative sermon and you'd fill up a church. Really, it really, that's the way it was, right? You know? But what are we to do now? Like, how do we do it now? We need to, st I'm so thankful for Pastor Greg holding to biblical truth week in and week out. He, he's the first one that I know who would be probably thrown in jail for something, you know, that he said in the pulpit. I think it's critical to, to make sure that we, we, we thank him for that and, and support him in that because he doesn't hold any, he doesn't hold, no holds barred. And we need to stay firm and, 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 and committed to that. And, um, you know, I just see as the days to come, I can't see it getting any better. You know, there are some Pockets of things that I see they're encouraging, some type of revival type things, and that's wonderful. We need to pray for that. Uh, but at the same time, it's like, what are we doing? We can't just circle up the wagons. we got to really do what we're called to do. And I think this, this passage really kind of was just a snapshot of what's going on in America. And, and so, okay, so what? What do we do? And I think we know what to do. It's important. Um, so as we kind of go back... Um, Yeah, I, I just think if we go back to chapter 15, I, I think that um, it sort of wraps up back to the text. I'm, I kind of, I don't want to say I got sidetracked, but I just, it's something that the Lord laid on my heart as I studied this and it was important. Uh, we go down to verse 32. Now we're back to Judah, his son, Uzziah, or Azariah, his son, uh, takes over. Interestingly enough, it says in chapter, or, sorry, in, in uh, chapter 15, verse 34. I almost had to reread this a couple times. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Go figure. Wow. So that's encouraging in a way because maybe within a year or two or a couple years, we might actually get someone in leadership in the United States that really holds fast to our values. There is some encouragement there, even in this de-evolution, so to speak, of the nation of Israel and Judah. And so there's, there's always hope. And we know that God has a plan for everything. He clearly was sovereign over all of this. But as we read down a little further, again, you see that nevertheless, verse 35, the high places were not removed. Okay, we get it. Um, they still sacrificed and made offerings in the high places. He built uh, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then he died. Anyway, it's just an interesting chapter. You, know, you come into a chapter where there's all, it's almost like when I start, first started reading this, it was all the, like the begats, and so-and-so begat so-and-so. And, and I got into this, I'm thinking, oh, great, it's just a rapid-fire listing of all the kings. But then when you take a step back and gain an understanding, 
in context of what was happening here, um, uh, it, it's, it makes a lot of sense. And I think we'll, as the weeks go by, we'll continue to see this occur and the de-evolution of the nation of Israel and Judah. Um, but a couple th- couple takeaways tonight as I conclude. It's actually pretty fast. I'm kind of blazed through that, but it's okay. Um, as we saw with Azariah, uh, pride can get in the way of a lot of things. Pride can uh, be obviously the source of destruction and a haughty spirit before fall, the Bible says. So um, if you struggle with pride, know that you're not alone. It happens to all of us. Even some of the great preachers I listen to and expositors, you know, they'll, they'll flat out tell you, pride, you know, pride got the best of me here and pride got the best of me there. It's something that we always need to kind of keep in check. Um, secondly, the main point, I think, of this whole thing tonight is, you know, I, I, let me just read it for you one more time because I think it really, really makes so much sense. For Jerusalem has stumbled and Judah has fallen because... Their speech and their deeds, in other words, everything they do, all their actions, were against the Lord. This is Isaiah speaking, defying his glorious presence. I'm so grateful and thankful that we as a church um, are aware of God's presence and his glory, and everything we do should give him glory. And when we see the world not doing that and actually defying that, it should, shouldn't really be a surprise to us, you know. I think it just means that we kind of have our work cut out for us. And so maybe tonight this has given you slightly, uh, slightly different lenses, so to speak, of how to see and interpret things that you see around you. It's no surprise to the Lord. He knows. I believe He's kind of given us over to ourselves as a nation. It's just there's insanity going on. It's literally a reprobate mind. Um, but if we understand that, and understand that perhaps this is the beginning of God's judgment, or we're under God's judgment. It makes us probably try to, the, the days are drawing nigh, they're drawing near. And so we need to be all more, all the more vigilant. Um, and just making those conversations, you know, talking to that crazy relative that we never really talk to because, you know, they, man, they, they don't like what we have to say. But we have a duty to do it. That's what we're called to do. And so I think it's important for us to do that with this all in context. So, amen? Amen. Well, let's go ahead and pray. Father God, we thank you for this evening. Lord, we thank you for your word that uh, even through narratives from uh, the four, 5,000-year-old uh, text, Father, that we can gain an understanding of, um, of your nature and how you operate, Lord, and then ultimately what you want and what, you're, what you long for, Father, and that is for uh, your people to come to you, Father. And Lord, I pray that we can be instrumental in that, Lord, that we can be bold in sharing the gospel, that we can be loving with people that, uh, that we one might consider the enemy, Father, Lord. Let us uh, see things in, in, a new eye, in new eyes through different lenses, Father, so that we may do your will, Father, and we may love our neighbors as uh, ourselves, Father. It's a hard thing to do, Lord, but I pray that you give each and every one of us strength, Lord. Uh, protect us. Keep us safe as we travel home, Lord. Um, give us a good rest of the week, Father, as we come together on Sunday again as a body of Christ, Lord, and celebrate you and bring glory to you in our song and in listening to your word preached, Father, and in our fellowship, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.